There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. We've had a great time in the gospel according to Mark this week, and I want you to open your Bible with me again, if you will. Let's see how fast you can get there tonight. To the gospel according to Mark, to Mark chapter number 11. Now, we're coming near the end of the life of the Lord Jesus. When you get to Mark chapter number 11, He's drawing nearer to the cross. By the way, the closer you get to the cross, the more serious things get. And in Mark 11, Jesus is preparing for what we commonly refer to as the triumphal entry. That's when Jesus was presented to the nation of Israel. Remember, he rides in on this donkey. We're going to see it in just a moment on a colt. And he's presented to the nation of Israel as their king. And, of course, they're going to reject him. And because of that, uh, he is going to, to go to the cross. He's going to die, of course. That was his intention all along. And then the Bible says that the gospel comes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Perhaps there are Jewish people in this room, and I thank God for the nation of Israel. I'm supposed to be there this year. We're moving that trip to next year, but I, I love Jewish people. My Lord Jesus came as a Jewish man. Uh, but speaking for Gentiles, because I am one, I sure am glad it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the nation of Israel, they by and large rejected their Messiah. The Messiah is offered now to the whole world. For the record, I hadn't intended to say this, but God's not finished with Israel. You ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And while you're at it, you ought to pray that America stays peaceable towards Jerusalem. And so the Lord is coming in to the city of Jerusalem. It's not His first trip. It won't be His last. But it's a very significant one because our Lord Jesus is preparing to die. Now, before we read the Scripture tonight, and it's an amazing story, I want to, full disclosure, I want to tell you I'm on a recruiting mission tonight. And I'm not recruiting for me. I don't have my agenda tonight. I'm recruiting for the one I work for. One of the deep burdens on my heart is that in our generation, it seems that there are so few laborers, so few young people who've been captured by something greater than themselves who've been taken by the cause of Christ. They drove me up on the mountain earlier today and showed me the place where Dr. Hay is buried and many others, and the place where our good friend, Brother Tom Farrell, will be buried in just a few days. And I thought again how much we miss certain people, especially those who faithfully preach the gospel and advance the cause of Christ when they're gone, and I was reminded of something that somebody has to step up. 
that with everyone that passes off the scene, somebody has to say, I will give my life to do what God wants me to do. Everybody's not going to do the same thing, but everybody's supposed to do something. Everybody's not supposed to go everywhere, but everybody's supposed to go somewhere. Everybody can't reach everybody, but everybody can reach somebody. And tonight, when you come to Mark chapter 11, you find, I think, one of the greatest pictures of a servant of Christ found in all the Word of God. And it might surprise you to discover who it is. Look at Mark 11, verse number 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Ironic, isn't it? They're the same mob that today screams, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. will turn right around and scream, crucify him. How fickle the human heart is. How quickly we move from fleshly thoughts to spiritual and back to fleshly again. How quickly we say, I'll follow you to death, Lord, and then turn around and say, I don't know the man. It reveals something about how base the heart of every sinner is. And by the way, that's true of everyone in this room, including the man you're listening to right now. We're all just a bunch of sinners desperately in need of Jesus. When you come to the story in Mark chapter number 11, there's lots of characters in the story. There's, there's the multitude crying at the triumphal entry. It was quite a noisy day, almost a parade-like atmosphere. There he is, the, the anonymous man, the unknown man who owned the colt. Put yourself in the story just a minute. Imagine you're standing at your house and you look out in the driveway and two strangers are getting in your car because that's what the colt was. And they're backing out of the driveway and you come running out of the house. What on earth are you doing in my vehicle? Jesus needs it. Okay, all right, well, if Jesus needs it, that's good enough for me. I don't know the whole story. Did, did Jesus have it prearranged with the man? Perhaps. Was this man himself a follower of Christ? Perhaps, because I'll remind you that every disciple is not famous. Every disciple's name is not known. There are many unnamed, unknown on earth disciples. They're not anonymous in heaven, though the Lord knows all that belong to him. I don't know who the man was, but he was willing to let the colt be used. There are two disciples that were sent on a mission by the Lord Jesus. And, of course, the main character is Christ himself because he's the main character in every story. Really, he's the main character of the whole Bible. I hope he's the main character of your story. In a sense, all of us are just supporting characters in the divine drama. It's all about Jesus from start to finish. But tonight, I'd like to draw your attention to one of the characters I think usually we think very little of, and it's the donkey. 
Now, don't get carried away. Don't go out here and say the preacher called all of us a bunch of donkeys tonight. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a beautiful picture here, and there's a truth for every one of us that's fascinating to me because there's a phrase I want you to get. It's found in verse number 3. It's the words of Jesus. It's the answer to the men. It's the word that the disciples repeated. It is this phrase, the Lord hath need of him. Would you underline it in your Bible? Take your pen out right now, and I want you to underline those six little words, the Lord hath need of him. Would you say that with me, please? The Lord hath need of him. Say it like you mean it now. Ready? Here we go. The Lord hath need of him. Look, I've heard people in nursing homes do better. Let's try it one more time. Ready? Here we go. The Lord hath need of him. When I'm done tonight, somebody says, what did the preacher preach on? You're going to say, the Lord hath need of him. If I ask you tomorrow morning what I preached on last night, you're going to say, the Lord hath need of him. If I ask you tomorrow night what I preached on last night, you're going to say, the Lord hath need of him. If I call you at 2.30 in the morning at your cabin and say, what did I preach on? You're going to say, why are you waking me up? And I'm going to say, what did I preach on? The Lord hath need of him. I'm brainwashing you right now. That's what I'm doing in case you didn't know it. It's a good brainwashing. It's the washing of water by the word. The Lord hath need of him. It's an interesting expression, isn't it? If Jesus had not said it, I certainly would not say it. Because theologically, we all understand this, God doesn't need anything. Let that sink in just a moment. Because the God of the Bible is the eternal God, the great I am. He's always been. He's the one who created everything. Matter of fact, there's a sermon in Acts chapter 17 uh, where the apostle Paul is preaching at Mars Hill, and he's he's talking about the creator God of the universe, and he says he doesn't need anything. He's the one who gives you breath and gives you life. It's not that God needs anything from you. May I testify tonight and say God doesn't need me. I desperately need him, though. The reality is, if I wasn't here preaching to you tonight, there'd be another preacher. And when one man's voice is silent, another man's voice will speak. Because in the end, God is not dependent on any one of us. He is the all-sufficient God. And yet, the Bible says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord hath need of him. So how could the God who needs nothing need This one, don't miss this, please. The only need that God has is the one He sovereignly chooses for Himself. The only need that our God, the all-sufficient God, ever has is the one that He creates. And on this earth, on this planet, God has chosen, though He could have done it any way He wanted to, to work through His created beings to accomplish His purpose on this earth. Could he send a lightning bolt from heaven to accomplish everything we've tried to get done this week in a moment of time? Certainly. God can do anything, anytime, anywhere, any way that he chooses to do it. But God has in his own good providence chosen to work through human instrumentality to accomplish his divine intent. I was watching Emily over here playing this piano earlier. This is an amazing instrument. But right now it makes no sound. But let her sit down at that piano. You know, she's a small thing, but she gets a lot of sound out of that piano. Let her sit down at that piano and begin to play. And I watched her playing. I like the way she plays. Strong, and it came out strong. And I thought to myself, isn't it interesting how an instrument can lie dormant? It can sit here. It can do nothing but gather dust. But you let somebody that knows how to use the instrument get on the instrument and begin to play it, and suddenly the most beautiful sound is produced by it. May I say to you that you can sit around and be a lot of nothing all of your days, 
or you can put the instrument of your life in the nail-pierced hand of Jesus and watch what Christ and Christ alone can do with your life. You need Him, and God has chosen to say that He needs you. A donkey? Of all the things to use, <laughs> a donkey? In fact, it's a beautiful reminder, I think, in all through Scripture, God uses animals. We talked about sheep earlier today. The donkeys are all through the Bible. For example, did you know the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job? It actually, it actually predates the book of Genesis, at least in when it was written. The oldest book in the Bible uses 15 different animals to demonstrate the power of God, and one of the 15 animals is the donkey. It demonstrates that this wild animal that wants to roam free, that has a rebel nature in it, that wants to have its own way, can be tamed by the one who created it. This is interesting. We'll come back to this. But this donkey had never been ridden. How did Jesus know he could get on this donkey that had never been ridden? Had it been broken? It didn't matter. Because that donkey, the moment Jesus touched it, knew that it was the hand of the one that had created it. He had the divine right over this donkey. Numbers chapter number 22, God spoke through a donkey. Anybody remember Balaam? Sometimes men act like donkeys. Balaam did. He, he made some really dumb decisions. And so God spoke through his donkey. The donkey saw the angel standing in the way with a flaming sword. The angel, remember that? Turned aside, crushed Balaam's leg. Balaam started beating on the animal. So God just opened the mouth of the donkey and let the donkey speak to him. That'll shake you up a little bit right there. Suddenly the donkey became God's messenger to Balaam. I believe in Mark chapter number 11, this donkey is God's messenger to us. You see, I don't know what you believe, but I don't believe anything in Scripture is there by accident. I don't think anything is there by coincidence. God doesn't use fillers. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason. And when you come to Mark chapter 11, there's got to be some reason why God says of this donkey, the Lord hath need of him. I'd like to give you three things tonight, and I want you to write them down. Would all of you take something out to write on tonight? Because I want you to remember them, and I want you to meditate on it. Number one, would you write this down? I want you to see in this story and in this donkey the purity that Jesus deserved. The purity he deserved. Oh, yes, it was a colt. Yes, it was a, it was a little donkey. But notice what God said about it. In verse number 2, he said, you're going to find a colt tied. And don't miss this at the end of verse number 2, wherein never man sat. There's two things about this colt that demonstrate its purity. One is that it's young. It was not a full-grown animal. It was a young animal. It was a colt. I want you to look me dead in the eye, please, and I want to say to every young person in this room, God doesn't want you later. He wants you now. Far too many people wait till they get old. Someday, out yonder, somewhere, I'm going to serve God. Excuse me, the will of God is never future. The will of God is always present. I'll tell you what people do. They live their lives for themselves and for this world and for other people. And then they turn around when they're old people and they got no energy left and they say, you know, I think I'm going to give God a little tip here. And they give God the leftovers. Let me tell you something. The creator God of the universe and the Christ who died for you doesn't deserve the leftovers of your life. He deserves the first fruits of your life. Don't waste the best and first you have and then give him whatever's left over. 
The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Excuse me. This is not your daddy's Bible. This is your Bible. This is not your grandma's religion. It's supposed to be your religion. This is not for old people and senior citizens. This is for a generation of young people to find their place and do their part because the Lord hath need of you. The oldest psalm in the Bible, so old that David didn't write it and Moses wrote it, Psalm 90, is this prayer, Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I've never met an old person in my life that said they'd wish they'd waited later in life to yield themselves to Jesus Christ. But I've met many a man and woman that said, I'd give anything if I had those years I wasted in sin over again. If you want God's blessing on the rest of your life, then get him in early in your life. If you want God in on the landing, then get him in on the takeoff. Off. A few months ago, years now, I guess, I was one afternoon in North Georgia. I decided I was going to take a little jog. This stage in life is not really a run, it's a jog. And I was plodding along. I saw an old Confederate cemetery, and I thought I took a little detour off my path and I ran through the cemetery. Did you know you run faster when you run through cemeteries? It's an amazing thing. I like history, and I'm looking around. There's all these little white crosses and memorials. It was fascinating. I made the loop, and I came out to go back out, and I saw the biggest monument in the place. And immediately I thought, it must be a real important person. It was, but it wasn't what I thought. I thought, that must be a general. I mean, that must be somebody that commanded armies. When I got over there, I discovered it was a wife and mother. Her family had erected this monument. It was the biggest in the whole cemetery. It had her name. It had her birthday, the little dash that represents a whole life, and then the death date. And then underneath it, it had a simple epitaph, one line that profoundly affected me. So much so, I took my phone out standing in front of the monument in that cemetery, and I called my wife, and I said to her, I think I just saw the greatest memorial I've ever seen in my life. And when I die, Jesus tarries his coming. When I die, I would love for this to be able to be said about my life. Her epitaph was very simple. It simply said this. She lived and died as a Christian. That's it. She lived and died as a Christian. You know what we want? We all want to die as Christians. We just don't want to live as Christians. We want the product without the process. Look, some of you think when you go off to Christian college that boom, shakalaka, some lightning bolt from heaven is going to slap you down and make you like super Christian. You're crazy. That day's never going to happen. I used to think I was going to go to the perfect camp someday, hear the perfect speaker, give the perfect message, pray the perfect prayer, make the perfect decision, and suddenly it was going to be this wonderful Christian experience. That day never came for me, and it's never going to come for you either. You're going to have to make up your mind that no matter what it costs you, no matter what anybody else does, and no matter how you feel from day to day, you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ, not at the end, but at the very beginning. If you want to die as a Christian, live as a Christian, the Lord doesn't want you to wait till you're old. He wants you when you're young. 
Some of you are looking at me thinking, yeah, preacher, but I'm so young. I don't know what I could do for Jesus. All right. Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist, started preaching as an evangelist with the Salvation Army when he was 17 years old. John R. Rice won his first soul to Christ at age 15. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was preaching in a brush arbor when he was 14, and at 16 he headed a circuit of five churches and saw 500 people saved his first year. Dale Moody started a Sunday school class on logs on the shores of Lake Michigan with a bunch of ragamuffin street boys when he was 19 years of age. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, preached his first sermon at 17. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in New York at 18. Iris Sankey got saved when he was 16 years old. And within a few months, he became the music leader and the Sunday school superintendent in his local church. Oswald Smith, the great Canadian missionary statesman, started working on Prince Rupert Island when he was 18 years of age, getting God's Word out. Hudson Taylor, the China Inland Mission. He didn't go to China first. He started handing out gospel tracts and holding cottage prayer meetings when he was 17 years of age. Peter Cartwright started preaching when he was 16 and was a circuit rider at 18. Harry Ironside was preaching when he was 16. Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of a Baptist church when he was 17. Mordecai Ham was a Sunday school superintendent when he was 16 in Greenwood, Kentucky. I'm simply saying to you that all these people we read about in history who made a difference for God in their generation didn't wait till they'd wasted the gifts and talents God had given them, didn't wait till they had a little leftover energy to throw at Jesus. They started early in their life. And I came tonight to say to you, the Lord has need of you. It's your turn to serve Jesus Christ in your generation. There's the second thing I noticed in verse number 2. Not only was it a colt, but it says whereon never man sat. Now, I personally believe that because it's who Christ was, it was something untouched by men. We have a unique Christ who deserves the best and deserves the first and deserves it all. And I want to say to you, the Lord Jesus doesn't want you to give your energy away to everybody else. He wants you to give it to Him. And every young man and every young lady listening to me tonight is going to give your life, your strength, your time, what you are and what you will become. You're going to give it to someone. You are set aside for a holy purpose. This is God's divine plan for your life. By the way, did you know that this is a prophecy fulfilled? Zechariah chapter 9, between 500 and 600 years before this day in Mark 11, God prophesied that Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a colt exactly like he did. Behold, rejoice, shout, thy king cometh unto thee, just and lowly, and upon an ass, the uh, colt, the foal of an ass. That's what Zechariah 9 says, and it's fulfilled in Mark chapter number 11. Listen to me. God has a divine plan and a purpose through the ages, and the greatest adventure and the greatest privilege of your life is to get in on what God is doing in this world. You're looking for some cause? Join a ball team, join a club, find a group of friends, join a gang, uh, find some job to give yourself to. No, no, my friend, the greatest thing in your town is the local New Testament church. The greatest work is the work of our God, and the greatest cause is the cause of the gospel. Do not wait till you're old to figure it out. Start now because Jesus deserves pure vessels and instruments to use. If you say, I've already messed it up, preacher, Aren't you glad the blood of Jesus, God's Son, can cleanse you from all sin and give you a new start? Let tonight be a new beginning and say from this day forward, I'm giving it all to Jesus. It's the purity He deserves. 
Secondly, would you make a note of this? There's a purpose that he designed. And this is very interesting. What is the purpose of a colt? <laughs> Donkeys have one purpose. They work. They're not to be seen. Nobody parades them around. and Nobody shows them off. They are service animals. Oh, don't miss this. This colt's greatest privilege in his existence was to serve the Son of God. He was a service animal in the greatest service at this moment. May I tell you why you've been created? The Bible says you've been created for His pleasure. For thy pleasure we are and we're created. Pardon me. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with that. But I didn't say it. Jesus did. And you don't have to agree with it now, but you're going to agree with it someday because Revelation says someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And on that day, it's going to be very, very plain and clear that there was only one reason why any of us were created. The only reason you're breathing is to fulfill the divine purpose. May I ask you, are you accomplishing God's purpose at this moment? Are you allowing God to accomplish His purpose through you? The greatest thing you'll ever do with your life is find and fulfill God's great purpose for your life. And for the record, that's different for everybody. Everybody's not going to do the same thing, but everybody can serve Jesus Christ in some way. And this donkey had come under the control of the Creator. And I'm going to tell you what God wants for every one of us, His servants. He wants us to come under the control of a power much greater than our own. Man, I try to read the Bible with a little sanctified imagination. Can you see that donkey working through the crowds? It was a parade. It was a parade. They're throwing, they're throwing garments down, and they got palm leaves. You know the story, the triumphal entry of Jesus. Can you imagine all the pushing and shoving and noise? And yet, here is a colt nobody ever rode on, but it's just solidly moving forward, taking the next step, doing what Jesus wanted it to do. Listen to me. There's a whole lot of noise in this world and a lot of people pushing and shoving, and most of them don't really know who God is. But our job is one thing. It is to keep taking the next step and moving forward and fulfilling the divine divine design for our lives. That is why you are breathing tonight. And don't miss this. The colt's great purpose was to carry Jesus to the world. How many of you know you're saved? Raise it up big and high. You know you're saved. Listen to me. There's a world back home outside this, this camp, this little haven we've been enjoying all week. There's a world back home perishing. They need Jesus. They don't know your Christ. They've never heard what you've heard this week. They don't know the reality that you're living in at this moment, and they never will unless someone who is here will carry Christ to them. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. Can I tell you as a preacher that I can preach on many subjects and there are many subjects in the Bible. But when I start preaching on Jesus and lifting up Jesus, something, something's different. I can't explain it any other way. But I know the Holy Spirit is speaking and working because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about. And I want you to know, if you'll let your life stop glorifying you and stop showing off your talents and stop making a name for yourself or a future for you, if you'll let your life be yielded to the service of one, and that is to lift up and exalt Jesus Christ and carry His gospel to a lost world, the Holy Ghost of God will use your life in ways you never imagined. This is the purpose for which you were designed. It's interesting to me that when this donkey just did its part, people worshipped. 
You know, the heart of God is it's for worshipers. That's what he's always wanted. That's what he will have someday in eternity, true worshipers. And I tell you, when we become the witnesses we ought to be, the Lord gets the worshipers that he deserves. For years, I heard preachers preach this passage and compare what Jesus did here with other kings. Now, there is a comparison. In Jesus' day, when kings came back from a battle and they had been victorious, they were conquerors, they did ride in to their cities with the gates up. There was a parade. It was a big day. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Now, don't get me wrong. He is the victor. He is the conqueror, but he's not yet gone to the cross. He's not yet been raised from the dead. He's not yet ascended. The Psalms tells us about the day Jesus went back to glory. It says, lift up your heads, O your gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Christ is the conqueror, and for the record, there is going to come a day. He's coming back into the city of Jerusalem. This time, he's coming back as the victor forever to rule and reign i'm looking forward to that day but on this day he did not use a full grown horse like the kings the emperors would have used there's one distinction in him he uses a colt a colt was a sign of peace a colt was a sign of humility it's funny how all the rulers of the earth want to be the man in charge. Everybody listens to me. He had every right to say that, but instead he presents himself in all of his humility and uses the most ordinary and common animal in the city. You know what it is, young people? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's a reminder that God touches common things and uses them for his own glory. Nothing is common when Jesus has control of it. And I want to say to you, you may think your life is nothing, but God can do exceeding abundantly above everything you ever ask or ever thought. It's interesting that Jesus barred everything. He had no place to lay his head in life or in death. He borrows a colt. Two, two or three chapters later, he's going to borrow a room for his disciples for the Last Supper. He's going to have to borrow a tomb to be buried in. But in reality, I was thinking about this, he actually borrowed nothing because he already owns everything. That cold already belonged to him. That room already belonged to him. That grave already belonged to him. The whole world belongs to him. You know what he did? He was giving these followers an opportunity to acknowledge his lordship. And I want to say to you tonight, if you think Jesus is trying to take something from you, you got it all backwards. He's given you everything you have, and you owe him everything, friend. This is the great purpose for which you were designed, to serve Jesus Christ and carry him to a lost world. There's one more truth I want you to see. There's not only a purity here that he deserved and the purpose that he designed, but there is a principle that he demanded. And what was the principle that he demanded? What is the principle he always demands? Would you write this down? It's the principle of obedience. In the end, there's only two groups of people. There are those who obey and those who don't. Which are you? Let's divide the room in half tonight. Let's just divide it right in half right now. And you're not divided by teams, and you're not divided by, by north and south, and you're not divided by rich and poor, and you're not divided by male and female. No, no. You're not divided by junior high and senior high. No, we're going to divide the room right in half. And one half is going to be all the obedient people, and the other half is going to be all the disobedient people. 
Now, we all would like to think we're on the obedient side, but I wonder, from God's heavenly perspective, which side would he place you on? Somebody said, well, when you talk about this principle that he demanded, who was it that had to obey? Well, the donkey did. For sure, the donkey had to submit and yield. But I was reading this story the other day, and I noticed something. Would you pay real close attention to verse number 3? And if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and mark the next word, straightway. Oh, the Lord? Okay. That's all I need to know. The Lord? That's, that's enough for me. Straightway means immediately. Straightway he will send him hither. Would you circle the question in verse 3, why? Remember last night I said why? This is a great question we always have to ask and answer. Why? Why should you get saved? Why should you surrender your life to God? Why should you live as a Christian? Why should you keep your body pure? Why should you get away from that crowd? Why should you carry gospel literature? Why should you serve God with your life? Why? Ready? Look at verse 3. Because the Lord has need of you. You can live your life on lesser things, or you can give your life to a greater thing. And come down then, please, to verse number 5. They finally get there. Certain of them that stood there said unto him, Circle this word, what? In verse 3, the question is why, and the answer is the Lord. And in verse 5, the question is what, and the answer is in verse 6, Jesus had commanded. Do you see, there's a greater ownership. There's a moment where they recognized the Lordship of Christ. And look, it's not Jesus suggested it. He'd kind of like it if you'd serve him. He'd really appreciate it if you'd give yourself to him. There's a great decree. There's a command. There's a demand here. God says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to obey me. And it can't be half-hearted obedience. It must be wholehearted obedience. I didn't come tonight to lower the flag to just to see how many people we get to stand up and go out. I came tonight to run the flag all the way up the pole and tell you that Jesus isn't looking for people who just say they're Christians. He's looking for true followers who will give their entire life to him. And the mark of real obedience is this word straightway, immediately. Some of you have been hesitating this week. Let's just get down to business for a minute. Some of you have been hesitating while others have been obeying. You've been hesitating. That's disobedience to God. To delay is to disobey. And tonight, what you need to do is say, by the grace of Almighty God, whatever the Lord said. You remember Monday night? You remember Monday night you got on your knees and you said, God, you speak to me this week, and whatever you speak to me about this week, the answer is already yes. You made that hard decision on Monday night. Why are you hesitating now? God says, just obey me. Notice the phrase, the end of verse 6. They let them go. Look, please. Hold on. Go ahead. Hold on as tight as you can. You'll lose it someday. Hold on to your life. You'll lose it someday. Let me tell you what you do. Look. Let it go. Jesus said, him that saveth his life will lose it. He that lose it for my sake and the gospel the same shall save it. Look, let it go. Release it to the Lord. Let him have your life. Let him have your gifts and talents and abilities. Look, I know you're weak. I'm weak. I know you fail, I fail. I know you're scared, I'm scared. But I tell you, you yield yourself to Jesus Christ and the Lord who has need of you will do more than you ever imagined with your one life. What are you going to meet at the end of your life? You just want to have a life like you just want to live or, or you want to make it count for something greater than yourself? You want it to live beyond your lifetime. You know why this camp's here? You know why you've been having such a great week? Because some people who are already in heaven 
gave their life here. That's why. Some people you've never met, some people that haven't been on this platform this week, they didn't give their life to you. They gave their life to God. And I'm not asking you to give your life to something or somebody else. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. And if you give your life to Jesus, remember, the Lord has need of you. Then God will do whatever with your life he chooses to do. And I guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God, it will be best. For the last couple of nights, I've been telling you stories of lots of people who yielded themselves to the Lord. Will you permit me tonight to tell you my story? Brother Collier asked me yesterday, we were together, he said, so tell me how you fought the Lord and lost. I like that question. Because the reality is, you got to lose. you got to come to the end of yourself. It was Thursday night, July the 27th, 1989, and it was the very first time I'd ever gone to summer camp. I was not at this camp. <laughs> you know, this is an amazing camp. I walked around today just watching everybody doing everything. It's amazing. But what's amazing about it is not the facilities. It's the Lord in the place. Because I went to a camp that you would not say was amazing. You know, we had one building, one we ate and met in the middle, and the guys lived on one side, and the girls lived on another. It was up on top of a mountain in the hills of West Virginia. You know what they had to do for fun? They had one baseball field, and there wasn't one blade of grass on it. It was nothing but dirt. I mean, it was like Disney World. Let me tell you, it was wonderful. But that's where the Lord met me. At night, they had to bus us off the property to a church nearby. Other people coming to the meetings, and on Thursday night, I sat alone. That was of the Lord. I wasn't with my buddies. I'd helped do something that night, and so I was seated in the farthest, darkest corner of the building. They had a balcony, and I was seated in the back corner by myself. And a preacher got up and preached that night. <laughs> He jumped up and down, screamed, hollered, and stomped, snorted, and spit all over the first three rows. I still don't remember what he preached on. I don't remember what he preached on. I'm going to tell you what I remember. I heard another voice that night. I knew that night God was speaking to me. He wouldn't leave me alone. In fact, I look back on it now, and I know for weeks getting ready for it, God was, God was preparing me. He was working on me. See, some of you, you come to a meeting like this, and you think it's the preacher's sermon or it was camp. Do you understand? God loves you so much. God's been working in your circumstance and your mind and heart for weeks and months, getting you to a moment where you'll say yes to him. That was my night. They gave an invitation. You know, my invitations are pretty pointed. Their invitation was long. It went on and on and on. It wasn't bad long. It was good long. But they sang another verse, sang another verse, sang another verse, and people were getting right with the Lord, and people were making decisions for Christ. And I'm standing back there with my hands in my pocket fighting with Jesus. I wasn't going to move. I wasn't going. And finally, I thought to myself, I am so miserable. And so this is what I did. Look, please. Let me review. This is what I did. 
I took one step. There's a long aisle. I was nervous about my friends. I was nervous about my family, whatever people were going to say. There's one big long aisle on the wall, and I thought, i got to walk all the way down that aisle. But you know, a funny thing, I took one step, and it was just like the Lord helped me the rest of the way. I watched some of you people on the swing out here today. Y'all crazy, you know that? You know the dumbest thing I ever did? I went bungee jumping. If anybody tells you peer pressure stops when you're 18, they're lying to you. I worked on church staff. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. I worked on church staff. And two of my buddies, grown men, taught me to go on bungee jumping in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You've seen that big thing, long thing in Pigeon Forge area? They weigh you, and they harness you before you go up, and they weigh you. And they had a sign that said, if you weigh more than this amount, you can't jump. And I weighed substantially more then than I do now, and I stepped up on the scales. And no joke, the scale went one pound over the stated limit. And I thought, well, I can't jump. And there was a teenage boy running the thing. Did you know teenagers don't care if you live or die? <laughs> and he said to me, he said to me, oh, those are broken. You'll be fine. <laughs> this is my life we're talking about. And I started my march of death to the top. And I got to the top. And my first friend jumped. He's a lunatic. He did a somersault off the platform. He's flipping in the air. I mean, it looked like the Olympics, for Pete's sake. People are cheering and screaming and applauding, and I just thought, I am not doing that. The next guy stepped up, my buddy. He tried to talk his way back off the platform. Big line of people. Another teenager at the top who didn't care if we lived or died. And my, my friend said to that young man, he said, son, I got six children at home. They really need a daddy. And he said, hurry up and jump, old man. There's people behind you waiting to jump. <laughs> scary up there. And then I heard those fateful words, it's your turn. And I got out to the edge of that thing and looked down at that yellow pad, and I thought, Paul, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. Somebody said, what'd you do? I grabbed that thing and screamed like a woman all the way down. It was a beautiful thing. Actually, here's what I did. Look, I said I was going somewhere. Look. I took one step. Now, it was a big one for sure, like the kind you're not coming back from. <laughs> but I took one step, and suddenly, when I was one step and over, it wasn't so bad. I thought, that's fun. I mean, like, that's good. Suddenly, I wanted to start flipping and doing things in the air. And look, it was that one step. It was this, it was this hurdle. It was this surrender. It was this, all right, release. The Lord hath need of you. And on that Thursday night, I took one step. It's the biggest step. Outside of getting saved, it's the biggest step I've ever taken. Now, I've taken some big steps since then. It was the biggest step I ever took. And nobody really saw me. I, I kind of crept down the side aisle and now to the altar. And when I got there, people saw me, and people came to pray with me. And I remember that night, I remember weeping, and I said to the Lord, now, I was just before my 13th birthday, I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what you want to do with my life. I didn't know I was going to be an evangelist. I didn't know I was going to be here preaching to you tonight. 
And I said, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, you can have it. And I believed that night God wanted me to be a preacher. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what that means or where I'll preach. But if you want me, I'll be a preacher. Old fellow came up to me that night in the lobby of the church, an old mountain preacher in the hills of West Virginia. I can still see him. He's in heaven now. He put his arm around me, great big guy, put his arm around me. He said, so, son, God's called you to preach. And I said, yes, sir. He said, wonderful. Get your first sermon together. You're going to preach next week in a cottage prayer meeting. I said, hold up. Let's talk about this thing. I will never to my dying day forget what he said to me. Son, if you don't start serving God now, you probably never will. And he was right. So I got my first sermon together. It was pitiful, let me tell you. I found an outline in a book somewhere. You know what I preached on my first sermon? It's crazy. Not because the truth is crazy. The truth is always the truth. But to think a 12-year-old would preach on this for his first sermon, I preached on the Holy Spirit. What did I know about the Holy Spirit? But I found a really nice outline. It sounded good. And I read some verses out of John. I, 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 I remember where I was. I was in Mr. and Miss Logan's living room. Mr. Logan was in a hospital bed dying. They couldn't leave their home. So they brought the church service to them. And there was probably, I don't know, 20 or 25 senior citizens. And they're seated all, seated all around the room. And I'm standing at the front door with my little Bible giving my first sermon, scared out of my mind. It's pitiful. And when I finished, they all got in line and hugged me and patted me on the back and told me it was the greatest sermon they'd ever heard and I was the next Billy Sunday. They lied to me. That's what they did. But they encouraged me. And it may not have been a very good start. It was a start. And I want you to listen to me real careful. Look, please. There are young men in this room God has been after. He wants you for his own. And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to work for you or work for Jesus. I cannot believe that in a world of this many billion people and folks perishing, God is calling fewer people to preach the gospel than ever. I cannot believe that in a world where people are dying who've never heard the name of Christ, that the Lord wants fewer people going to the mission field than in previous generations. Jesus said, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest. That's what I'm praying for. I'm not just preaching for it. Now. I'm praying for it. I'm praying that God will call out some laborers out of this camp and send you forth to the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus Christ. But if you think I'm talking just about, just about full-time Christian service, you missed the point entirely because the Lord wants every one of us to be his servants and his witnesses. And you may not be what Somebody else might be, but I'll tell you what you can be. You can be one that carries Jesus into the world and lifts him up and attracts attention to the only one who can save sinners. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day. 
and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey Daily Devotional Podcast each Monday through Friday.